0: Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I hope and pray that each and every person who is listening to this is enjoying the presence of God and that we are all walking close to Him during this time of lockdown. My dear friends, let your hearts be filled with hope. Even this shall pass and we will emerge out of this crisis situation stronger one day. Meanwhile, let us stay close to Him all these days, close to His word, and let us be encouraged and let us emerge as stronger, finer Christians after the days of the lockdown are over. Before we turn to the word of God, let us pray. Father, we thank you for ministering into our hearts, into our lives. As we turn to the word of God, before that, Lord, we pray that you will intervene against the illness that is sweeping across the lands, across the nations, that you will arrest it, Lord, that only you, only your word, only your power will be able to save us. This pandemic, Lord, we pray for all the governments, we pray for all the authorities that we pray that you are filling them with your wisdom and strength. We pray for those people who are sick and in isolation, in struggles. We pray especially for people who are in healthcare and who are in administration, who are in the center of all the struggle, Lord. We pray for all the dear ones who are not well physically, Lord, Master people who need an encouragement in their heart, we pray for each one of them. We pray for every person in our churches. We pray for the people of God. We pray that you will continue to bless them. We pray in the midst of this for the people who celebrated one more year of their uh, their birthdays and wedding anniversaries and one more year of your grace in their life, Lord. We pray that you will continue to help them to build up their lives according to the word of God. We also pray for all the people. We pray for all the mental spiritual and financial needs of all the people who are listening in, Lord. We pray that you will meet us at the point of every need of ours, Lord. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. As we turn to the word of God, continue to speak to us, minister to us and bless us. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask and pray this. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's turn to the word of God for today. Today the Lord has laid on my heart a portion of scripture concerning Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 16 and Luke chapter 24 verses 28 to 29. This is a portion related to the disciples of Jesus who are going to the town of Emmaus. I'll repeat the portions. Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 16 and Luke chapter 24 verses 28 to 29. And I will read it that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. and But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 28 and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged Jesus strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. The context of this passage is the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is mentioned in the first twelve verses, as described by Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Their account of seeing the empty tomb was treated by the others as mere idle tales, something that they didn't believe in really. But later we know that Peter and John went to check the same and they went home marveling at what had happened because they also realized that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. Our passage that we just read is the portion of the story of the two disciples who went to Emmaus. While they were on the pathway to Emmaus, they had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. But although they had that encounter, they were totally oblivious of that fact. I want to take a pause at this point of time, and I want to just meditate on one portion, of one single central truth of Christianity. My dear friends who are listening in to me, aren't you glad that we serve a living God? All other godmen, demigods and so-called saints are dead and gone, buried. But our Saviour is alive and He lives forevermore. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's not just that He is alive and up there in heaven. he's right here with us, my dear friends. For the word says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And Christ in us is the hope of glory that we have. Isn't it amazing this one central truth of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foundational aspect of Christian life. This is what separates our faith and makes our Christian faith unique from all other faiths. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. All these claims are established so powerfully by the truth of resurrection, so much so that Paul, when he writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 14 he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's useless to believe and to preach if Jesus is not risen. Verse 17, he continues on and he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Meaning, Only because Jesus has been raised on the third day can we claim to have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And in verse 19 he goes on and says, If you have hope only in this life in Christ Jesus, then we are of all people most to be pitied. All these three statements make an assertion if Jesus were not risen. But the truth is, the fact is, by the very contrast of these verses, We know that Christ is risen. Our faith is not in vain. The preaching is not in vain. The scripture has many accounts of this fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eyewitness accounts. Everything that happened in the life of Jesus was according to the will of God. His life, his death, his resurrection. We see that the Romans put a huge rock to close the tomb and sealed with the government seal. Even they had faith that Jesus might come back to life. But they didn't want him to come out of the tomb. The armies could not take Jesus away. He gave himself into their hands. The courts could not condemn him, but he gave himself into their hands. The cross could not take his life away. He gave up his breath, his soul. The grave could not hold him in. He broke the power of death and of the grave and the Roman seal and he rose again on the third day. The resurrection of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tells me about three things. Number one, we have a hope for eternity, that even if we die, the Lord shall raise us up and we have a hope because of that. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Dearly beloved, death has no power on a believer. There is no sting for death. It also teaches me, because I shall be resurrected one day, The word of God teaches me to live soberly because I have to give an account for my life. And like Paul says in Hebrews, our prayer is that we have a better resurrection that awaits us. Dearly beloved, let's have that hope, let's have that consciousness of eternity. That's the first thing that resurrection of our Lord teaches us. Second thing, this is the key for us to experience real life because before resurrection comes a death. And the word of God says, just as Christ suffered and he, was, uh, he died and then he was raised again. In our dying to ourself, as long as or to the extent that I died to myself, the resurrection power of God comes to effect in my life. That is why it says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. Deny yourself, take up the cross daily and follow Jesus. This is the key to experiencing the real life of Christ. Thirdly, resurrection tells me that there is nothing that is impossible with God. However dead a situation appears, it is never so bad that the Lord cannot turn it around. The path to glory always contains the cross. If you suffer with Him, you shall be glorified with Him. Let not our sufferings pull us down. Have hope in Jesus who overcame death and was resurrected on the third day. When we return back to the passage that we just studied or read, what is the context of that passage? This is the first post-resurrection appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke's gospel. And Jesus confronted two of his followers, disciples, who were ignorant, who were filled with doubt, who were confused. It was not that they did not believe the scriptures as such, But their understanding of the scriptures was improper. They had a deficient knowledge of the scriptures and it was dangerous because that improper understanding, that partial understanding caused them to be filled with despair instead of being filled with hope. Therefore, when Jesus met them, he opened the Old Testament scriptures to them. He made them understand. He dispelled their darkness and confusion and he gave them the light of the truth of the word of God. If you turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 18, the word of God talks about the troubled walk of a disciple of Jesus, the troubled walk of a disciple of Jesus. What is that passage? What is that talking about? The word says on that day, they were going to a village named Amos, seven miles or 12 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other. What is the current state of their life? This is a dark night of their life. The saviour has been crucified. They kept their hope in him. Their hope of redemption is gone. Apparently even the body has disappeared. We have the woman's report from the tomb. We have Peter's report from the tomb. They went away. These two disciples dejectedly they went away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jerusalem is the city of peace. It is the city of God. They are going away from that. Jesus is going to act powerfully in the land of Jerusalem. But before that, these people are dejected and they go away from Jerusalem. They go back to their original hometown. Symbolically, it shows that they were moving away from the plan of God and they were moving away from the purposes of God because of their depression, because of their dejection. While it is a reality that Jesus rose again, we may go through situations in our life where the power of god is not very evident it's not very obvious in fact there may be situations where the lord seems to be absent the portion about the children at uh, the the disciples at emmaus reminds me that while he may be absent he may seem to be absent he is never too far away and at the right moment he will reveal himself and he will manifest his power Verse 15 says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and He went with them. He joined Himself to them. It says, They were talking and discussing. The original Greek word used for discussing there is deliberating or disputing. In Malayalam, the same verse is written. There was a talking that was happening and there was an argument that was happening. There was a conflict. Have you ever realized how it is that when our hearts are dejected and depressed, we tend to argue about very mundane things, very ordinary things, even the things of faith? But Jesus says, their eyes were prevented from knowing him as he joined to them. They did not realize that this was the Savior whom they knew. This was not the Jesus that they knew according to their eyes. Because their eyes had been shut To understand the resurrected Jesus. In their eyes, their Lord is dead and gone. But actually, where is he? He is walking right next to them. Now, let me ask a question here. Why should the Lord leave the glory and popularity of Jerusalem behind and go to a simple village of Emmaus, if he reveals himself to the large crowd of disciples that are waiting for him in Jerusalem, can you imagine the grand welcome and the joy that would have erupted in the land at Jerusalem? But Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. He puts all the hundred odd disciples who are waiting for him in Jerusalem, he puts them on hold and then he goes on and then he seeks out the two depressed disciples who are moving away from Jerusalem, who are going towards a mouse. Because the one who died for you is not going to sit and watch as you deviate from his perfect will. He's going to come straight after you, he's going to comfort you, and he's going to restore you. That's what Jesus does to these disciples. He joins with them and he starts walking with them. If you see, there is a sudden shift of how things are happening. And he joins them and he asks them, he confronts them, he asks them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, verse 17. And then from verse 18 onwards we see that these disciples give Jesus a simple description of their incomplete version of the story of what happened to Jesus. And it's not a happy story, it's a very partial story. From Luke chapter 24, verse 19 to 27, it talks about a walk that the disciple has with the King of Glory. If the first portion was the troubled walk of the disciple, now we see that Jesus is joined with them. Verses 19 to 27 is the walk that they have with the King of Glory. While he understands the reason for their conflict and dejection, Jesus does not want them to be depressed. He doesn't want them to be conflicted. He doesn't want them to argue with each other. He wants to fill them with his peace and make them understand the purpose behind the troubles and problems in their life. What is the problem that they have? Their problem is they have despair, they have dejection, they have inner conflict and they are moving away from the will of God because what they hoped for Didn't seem to happen. They had a partial understanding of what Jesus was accomplishing. But that's not enough to give them that pure full hope of what Jesus will accomplish in the future. While their problem is despair and rejection. What is the root cause? They did not have a proper understanding of the word of God. Now Jesus comes and attacks the root cause at its very root. And Jesus gives the solution for their problem. What does he do? When you read that passage, you will see that Jesus rebukes them and he teaches them. He explains to them from the word of God. This is the godly pattern for all the issues in life that we also will face. In fact, if you see Luke chapter 24 verses 25 and 26, Jesus uses tough words to address to them. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? He explains to them from the word of God. Verse 27, he, the word of God says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, meaning he went through a survey of the entire Old Testament. Beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the things the scriptures, the things concerning himself, meaning when Jesus confronts them, he starts explaining to them from the scriptures, he tells them the very crux or the central point of the word of God. Often we also need to understand that we need to understand and go through the word of God before we get an understanding of what is actually wrong with our lives. Before he reveals to them physically who he is, he starts revealing to them through the word of God who he is and what has been written about him. What a blessing it is to realize, my dear friends, that literally the whole Bible is a single unified story, a narrative of God that leads us towards Jesus. And the moment the disciples realized and saw Jesus in all the scriptures, their hearts started burning zealously. But once that walk comes to an end, once Jesus in that short period of time when he opens their understanding and tells them about himself through the scriptures, the walk comes to an end, they are already reaching the town of Emmaus. And then what happens? Verses 28 to 33 talks to us about the blessing of the fellowship that we have with God. Jesus acted as though he was about to go on. If you turn to Luke chapter 24 verses 28 to 33. Let us read that once again. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far. So he went in to stay with them. He went in to stay with them. Jesus acted as though he was about to go on. Why did did Jesus do that? Because sometimes he wants... test our desire to be with him. He acted as though he was about to move on from Emmaus. Was he going anywhere else? Definitely not. These two disciples of his were the destination of Jesus. They were the target of Jesus. But they constrained him. When Jesus seemed as though he was about to move on, they constrained him and they said, please stay with us. The original Greek for that is They used force. It was a forceful request. It was almost like, I will not let you go. Please stay with me. Look at the intentional way in which they are asking Jesus to abide in their house, to stay with them. My dear friends, God is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. There is a difference between seeking a person and seeking someone diligently. Here we see that they constrained the Lord to abide with them. And Jesus had to be constrained to enter that household. It's a test to see sometimes if we are wholehearted about our faith walk. But when he steps into our emptiness, you know, things change. And he wants us to ask him to tarry, to abide, to stay with us, to be with us, to be in us. We see the same kind of pattern in Abraham's life. If you turn to Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 to 3, we see about uh, a very heavenly visitation that is happening to Abraham. And when Lord appears to Abraham, Abraham pretty much impresses on the Lord to stay with him. I pray thee, if if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass away. Stay with me. What an imploring heart that Abraham had. What was the result of that? Apparently, God ate the food of man. At the end of that beautiful encounter that God has with humanity, he gives a promise of a son, of a seed to Abraham and the immense power of God acted on a couple who was as good as dead and produced life that eventually became, became an entire nation for the Lord. What is the blessing, my dear friends, when we ask God to step into our lives, when we ask Constrain God to tarry with us. Your entire state changes. The entire state of these two disciples changed. It is like suddenly it becomes day after night. That dramatic, such a drastic change. What all happened as a result of this? Let us turn to verses 30 to 33. And the word of God says, He went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread Blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Verse 33 And they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. The first thing that happens in that house. Luke chapter 24 verse 29 and the word of God says He went in to tarry with them and suddenly their house becomes the house of the Lord. I am reminded of an example that I uh, know from uh, uh, one of the movies that I have seen. If you take the example of the Air Force One that is the official plane or the flight that the President of the United States takes. Now any flying object that houses the President of the United States receives a call sign, Air Force One. Meaning, the moment the President of the United States steps into a plane, that plane becomes Air Force One. And if I can have a parallel example with what happened here, the moment the Lord was invited into this humble house of the two disciples, the moment he stepped in, this became the house of the Lord. We have the temple out there in Jerusalem with its veil that has been rent. The presence of God is not there. But here the Lord himself is abiding in that humble house. And that house becomes the temple of the living God. The first blessing that we receive when we ask God to tarry, when we ask God, when we constrain God and ask him to stay with us, we become the temple of the living God. Our household becomes the household of the Lord. The second thing that happens there, Luke chapter 24, verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke and gave it to them. Secondly, we see that it became the house of fellowship with the Lord, three of them together. It became the house of dining with the Lord. In other words, what happened there was a beautiful example of the supper of the Lord. Next, we see that it became a house of blessing. Jesus took the bread and blessed the blessing of the Lord, abode with those two dear saints of God. Nextly we see that it became the house of broken bread. Luke 24.30 says, He broke the bread and gave it to them. It symbolizes the ministry of the word of God. Needless to say, these disciples later became the witnesses of the risen Lord and therefore they became the carriers of the testimony of the Lord. The word of God was broken and it was given to them so that it could feed many others. They were blessed and they carried their blessing to many others. Fifth, we read that it became the house of revelation. Luke chapter 24 verse 31 says, Their eyes were opened. When Jesus expounds on the scriptures about himself, that definitely leads them to be open to the scriptures and their spiritual eyes were opened the house of revelation every church every household today is expected to have that house of revelation where our the eyes of our heart will be opened to understand what god is who god is and how jesus is important in our life as it says in ephesians chapter 1 you see in luke chapter 24 verse 31 then the word Continues to say they recognized him. King James Version says they knew him. It became the house of the knowledge of God. The word of God says the whole earth is going to be filled with his knowledge. But it starts when we open our hearts, when we open our houses to receive our Lord. And then we start knowing him as he says here. We start recognizing him. We see God in even the simple things of our life. In the simple provision and providence of our life we see God acting. It becomes the house of the knowledge of God. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24 says, Let him that glory, glory in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. We need to come to a knowledge of that Lord. And the zeal of their heart was burning because of that knowledge, of that understanding of the Lord. Hallelujah. Lastly, I want to say, after all these blessings were received by the saints who went to Emmaus, by the disciples who went to Emmaus, then they realized one last thing. They are in the wrong place at the wrong time. They went away in their desperation away from Jerusalem into a mouse. But the moment the Lord was there with them, He opened their eyes, He disappeared. But then they realized one thing. They have to return back to the place of their calling. They have to return back to Jerusalem. And the word says, verse 33, they rose that very same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They joined along with the eleven who were there and they gathered together with all the saints of God together and waited for the Lord. Hallelujah. What a beautiful picture it is, my dear friends. The moment the Lord reveals himself to us, the moment he steps into our emptiness, the moment we constrain him, what happens is we come back into the place and purpose of our calling in God, in Christ. If any of you listening to me feel that at some point of time, some point of your life, you have departed or deviated from the call of God, Dearly beloved, invite the Lord once again into our hearts, into our lives, and experience that restoration of purposes. They did not wait for the next day. They arose that very same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Surely it would have been difficult. Travelling in the night is much more difficult than going in the daytime. But because they did that, they were able to get back into the heart of God's fire. There was a mighty move of God that is going to happen in Jerusalem. Had they stayed on in Emmaus, they would miss out on the mighty move of God that he was going to unleash, he was going to release in Jerusalem. Because their eyes were opened, they came back to their senses, they went back to the place of God's calling for them. They have been transformed now. They are empowered to go back that very same night itself. They are not tired anymore. They are not people who are dejected. They are not people who are at conflict. But they are now purposeful and going back to the center of God's will for them. Jerusalem is the place where they have to spend the next 40 days with Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verses 3-4 to says, He presented himself alive to them and uh, appearing to them during 40 days speaking to them, teaching to them about the kingdom of God. Jesus was holding a mighty conference to them 40 days, training them to be kings and priests for God, training them the matters of the kingdom of God, training them to be his witnesses, powerful witnesses. And verse 4 says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Don't go away from Jerusalem again, but stay in Jerusalem. And then do what? Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, Wait for the promise of the Father which you have heard from me. You shall be filled. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten days after those 40 days with Jesus, they waited for the power of God to fall from heaven. They received that power surely. I believe that they were also there along with the ones who waited in that room and received the Holy Spirit. And they became mighty witnesses of the Lord. Today, my dear friends, The Lord is here for us today and He wants to talk to us through these passages, through these words. Let us humble ourselves. Let us constrain Him. Let us cling on to Him. Each and every person hearing this message, the master of the house, the head of the family, the little children, the wives and spouses join together. Let us ask, Lord, come and abide with us. Make your dwelling among your people for without you we are nothing. Sometimes our walk may be troubled, but God comes and he joins along with us and he comforts us from the word of God. When we invite him, when we constrain him, he joins us and he turns our life into a blessing. Hallelujah. How many of you want to experience that blessing today? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the risen God who walks with us and he gives us peace and direction in our life. You remove the conflict from our hearts. You walk with us and teach us the word of God. We invite you, Lord, to come into our hearts, to come into our lives, to come into our families, to come into our churches and transform us into the people of blessing and the assemblies of your blessing that you want us to be. We commit all these into your hands. We commit our hearts, real desires into your hands, Lord. Bless us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God the Father, sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, abide with us now and forever. Amen. Amen. May the Lord continue to bless you. God bless you and have a blessed week ahead.